it is truly a love letter to help serve because I'm in the trenches with these people. I know yeah. their struggles. And so now it all makes sense. You know, people are like, you, you work on social media? That's just weird. No, it's about building community. audiology podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lilach Saperstein, and this is the show where we talk all about your experiences with audiology, with hearing loss, with parenting, with advocacy. This is where it's really about your experiences, parents and educators as well, professionals working with us. We love you all. This is a very exciting reprisal episode with the one and only Valley Gideons from My Battle Call. You must have heard of the blog. You must have heard of her Instagram and the new book, which we're going to be talking about as well. The last time Valley was on the show was in 2019. It was episode 17. I will have that linked. And we talked about cochlear implants and the beginning of your journey when the kids were small and how all of that went. So definitely get part one and here we are in part two. Valley, welcome, welcome to the show. How have you been? Thank you so much for having me back. I've been great. It was definitely pre, pre-pandemic pre. <laughs> in the old days. <laughs> yeah, it was a long time ago. So I'm really happy to be back. I went to look at the stats and that is a top 10 episode. Now there's over 80. Well, I have a very, very dedicated following who when I share things, they show up. So I'm going to give that credit to my mom. My mom actually kidded me the other day saying, I listened to all your podcasts, but I've heard most of your stories by now. (laughs) Well, that's kind of my story, mom. That's funny. Hi, Valley's mom. And thank you for all the support and to everyone who follows Will you give us a little short background for those who are new to your family? <laughs> but really, they should go listen to the first episode. Sorry, mom, but I'll just put it in a nutshell. Two kids, 21 <laughs> months apart. Our firstborn failed the infant hearing screen, came back two weeks later for the ABR. We were told that he had severe to profound hearing loss, and that started us on the road. No family history. They had told us it was probably just fluid in the ear. I talk about this. I open it in chapter two, I think, of my new book, and I think it's one of the chapters that resonates most with parents because until I wrote it and put it out in the world, I had no idea how common this was and be so taken aback when you were not expecting it. And we did through genetic testing and a whole series of things. We ended up finding out he had Pendritt syndrome. So then when we were pregnant with our daughter, we knew that she would have a one in four chance of also having the syndrome. So it was a different dynamic then. So both kids born, got hearing aids as infants. Then my daughter has one cochlear implant and a hearing aid. And my son has bilateral cochlear implants. And that's kind of the way it began. I think a lot of young parents ask the question, At what point did they take ownership and really understanding also in their identity, but also with changing batteries and with the devices from when it was all on you to when it transferred sort of into their responsibility? Well, I'll let you know when that happens. Oh, I see. (laughs) I mean, it's been so gradual that it's hard to pinpoint. I think just as soon as they're able to do a little task, you let them do it. Like the first time Battle was able to reconnect the magnet, external magnet, back to his head. He was 18 months and I remember it like yesterday. I can see his little face 
Yeah. I can see his eyes lighting up. I can see the connection. It was profound. I just saw a friend post a video of her son doing the same thing. You know, this is before iPhones when we had our kids. So I don't have any of this on video or documented. Just it's all etched in my mind. Yeah. These moments, but that was huge. And going to their dry box in the morning and getting their own devices and bringing them to me was huge. And we're just starting now. My son carries the USB ported battery back up in his car. Mm-hmm. And that's been game changer because if he's driving himself, he's got his car with him. So he's, <laughs> he's learning and he's out of the house now more than 12 hours. Yeah. So when he knows he's going to be not coming home, he's making sure he has that backup. But if he comes home, then he's leaving to go somewhere else. He changes his batteries. It took a couple fails for him to be somewhere socially and have his batteries die and be like, oh no. Whoops. It only took a couple times at this age for him to not forget anymore. It's just been really gradual. Now, the next thing I'm preparing to do, I'm just talking battle because he's 17, but Harper would be capable too, is get on the phone with our company Cochular and help start ordering parts. And I'm going to have him walk through that with me the next time. I've never done that. And then we always use the phone to order parts, but I know you can do them online as well. So play around with that. So that's yeah. kind of the next stage. Both kids take their aqua kits when they're going to water and change things out and have cases they put their devices in. We really not had too big of an epic fail with that. <laughs> you know, I'm really happy you're breaking it down because it's not like I will hand you the baton and now you're in charge of everything. It really is so slow. I'm glad you're breaking that down to different milestones throughout their different ages. Yeah, and I think each kid is different. Like Harper who's 15, is much more responsible with her devices. They never are left on a counter or on the ottoman or in the bathroom where my son, it's like, our next children's book is going to be Where in the World is Battle's Ear? (laughs) The places he leaves, it's mostly his left. He relies heavily on his right. That's his one he got as a baby. And the left one he didn't get till kindergarten. We call it the baby ear. And the battery dies sooner on that one. And he'll just leave it in the most random places. So we had to implement consequences. Eventually, I just had to say, you lose your phone if that ear isn't back in its case at night. Because when I'm no longer here to help you search for it, you're screwed, kid. Uh, That's a big consequence. So I'm thinking that works. (laughs) Yeah, you have to find what works for each kid, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I also like that you mentioned before about how he experienced his own, oh, I don't have the battery. And then he got the natural consequence of that. You know, instead of hounding him, nagging him for six months, he's like, oh, and you'll miss it. Now he's responsible. It's really hard as a parent to do. I mean, this is true in parenting in general. It's hard to let your kid fail. It really is. But once I've taught them and and then they still make a different choice, then you have to kind of let them fall within reason. So I'm just talking more about him because he's driving now. He has a different Mm -hmm. level of independence and he doesn't want to miss out. I'd love to hear more about the books and the process. There can't be anyone who's in audiology Instagram who doesn't know about Harper's book and now your new book. So of course, I'd love to hear your process and how you even decided to write about all this. Well, what's crazy is the last time we spoke, now hear this, our children's book didn't even exist. 
here it's two years later, almost to the week that I've published the second book, which is crazy. So the first book, I'm sorry, mom, I've told this story, but you know, how did you even decide to write this book? Well, I mean, it was kind of a cool thing how it came about. I've been a writer my whole life and always had people saying, you need to write a book, you need to write a book. And I just really didn't have that book in me because I just didn't. And to sit and write a book, you have to really want to write that book. I mean, you do. So Harper came home, I think it was out of summer, fourth grade, last day of school. She dumps her backpack on the sofa. The old sandwiches are in the bottom. I mean, it's like just stuffed with everything that's been in the classroom that she had to bring home. Thanks, teachers. Appreciate that. Anyways, I started going through it and I got to her writing journal that her teacher had them using all school year. And each morning they started out with a writing prompt, which I just think is brilliant. And they would be different prompts, sometimes super casual, like what'd you do this weekend? But this particular one that had kind of stopped me was what makes you unique? And I read what she wrote and summing it up is that I am unique because I am a deaf. I compete in basketball to show other kids that even when you have hearing loss, you can just be a typical kid and all these just profound, I mean, for a fourth grader. Harper's story is the book, not my story. It's her story. I want this on every child's nightstand. And so that's kind of how it began. And I just told her, hey, we're writing a book. Harper didn't believe me. And then we found an illustrator, Priscilla Soares. Some of you have heard of her. She had done another book, How I Hear, which is a great book. And I just gravitated towards her artwork. And she also has a hearing loss and a son with cochlear implants. So it just was like meant to be. And we started the process of putting pictures to the manuscript. And then that's when Harper was like, this is actually real. This is going to happen. And so we launched that February, 2020. We had book tours set up, had all these classrooms set to visit and then COVID. We did the best we could virtually, but it did take getting over the letdown. You work so hard on a book and then to have everything just canceled, book launch party, all the things. I mean, we were going big. But it still was a number one and thousands of copies have been purchased and I just love it. People send me pictures of their kids with the book and I share it with Harper and it just makes it so real. We sign copies with personal messages to kids. So that's how Now Here This became a thing. And then somehow in the last year, I decided I would put a collection of my essays together and just kind of package it in a self-publishing way. I just wanted to have something I could take with me to speaking events, also just to have my work put in a trademarked copyrighted package. A couple of my writer friends had done this and I thought, I'm going to just do it. So then... I decided to call on one of my good friends from college, who's a brilliant writer, and ask if she would help me weave them together and edit them. Well, the next thing I know, this girl, she's coming through all my work. She's printing it out. We have it all over my dining room table. We're doing this virtually. She's on the East Coast and I'm on the West Coast of the United States. And she's like, Val, this is more than just a collection of essays. You need to really look through your work and see what themes are here. And I was like, thanks a lot. I mean, it was like 25,000 words worth of 
stuff laying on my dining room table and I kind of put it aside. I'd get overwhelmed and put it aside. And then just, I had a back injury and I was basically told by my doctor, you must lay on your sofa. It was only a couple days, but that's when day, night, it started flowing, how I was going to put it together and just started elaborating on stories. And so a year later, now I got a professional editor and then I called on one of my good friends who does design and layout. And my friend Vinny continued to be part of the rewrite and collaborative, creative. And then another friend was the queen of the post-it notes, finding <laughs> all the minutiae. We were in the weeds. I mean, we were in the weeds, but it's like, once you decide you're going to do it, you just have to do it. It's a big project. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd been approached by a publisher after the children's book about writing my book and she wanted between 60 and 100,000 words. And I was just like, I do not have that in me. No, this is not the right time. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And it just came, it took an organic yeah. process for me to be able to dive into it, to sit and look at a blank screen and write 100,000 words would not have worked. It's a passion project. Definitely. And it's amazing. You had such a team, so many people in your life jumping in here. That's amazing people, you know, since the children's book, I'll get, how do you write a book? Tell me everything you know. First of all, no, I'm not going to tell you everything I know. I've spent years and years and years learning. Yes. So do your research, write, that's how you do it. And then for me, having this platform starting on Facebook, such a big, rich community over on Facebook. I know people think that's for dinosaurs, but it really is an engaged community. And then Instagram, and then all these writer groups I belong to. It took over four years of building a mm -hmm. community that I feel I can serve. That is why it works, because this is not some grandiose thing I've done where let me tell you all about me and my family. It is truly a love letter to help serve because I'm in the trenches with these people. I know yeah. their struggles. And so now it all makes sense. You know, people are like, you, you work on social media. That's just weird. No, it's about building community. Sure. And it's so powerful that everything you write about has that energy of supporting other parents and making them realize that you got this, you're going to get through this. You have so many supportive posts and there is such a beautiful engagement with the community there. That's something that I really value, admire, try to also do with the podcast and with the programs that I run are all about that community and that support. And I think it helps you when you get the support, but it also is very, very rewarding to be able to give support and say, hey, I do know things. Our experience can help other people. So I want to encourage anyone who's listening to be open about what's going on for you because you never know who's listening and who needs that encouragement that day. The Instagram hashtags, I will not stop talking about how powerful it is to find people in your specific topic. There could be a hundred people in the whole world talking about something and you can find them. I think I just wrote this in a post about my book when it went to number one. I mean, I literally woke up and it said number one bestseller. And I mean, I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm like, that means people showed up for me. I've poured myself into mm -hmm. my platforms and you don't always know who you've touched. I know there's a lot of people that follow me who never comment and that's fine. You're showing vulnerability to comment and to mm -hmm. share, but for the book to be able to go to number one in two days meant not only did I do this as a labor of love, but not people showed up for me too. I give, I give, I give, I yeah. serve, I do it humbly. And I really do consider it a privilege, but 
knowing that people showed up for me also just brought me, I'm telling you, into the fetal position. I can imagine it. It can be so overwhelming. So wonderfully awe-inspiring. Right. That is it. And then the other part is, and I have a couple of my writer friends who have become really close friends through the years, conferences now, and gone on retreats together. So not only met them through the internet, but have actually spent real lifetime with them. And a couple of them were my beta readers early on for the manuscript. And so it's been really fun. One in particular, her name's Liz Patrone. She writes a comment in the very beginning of the book before the introduction. Her book was called The Price of Admission. One of my favorite writers, best storyteller I know. And she's lived through a lot of hard, different hard than mine, but hard. And that's where we just speak a universal language to each other. And anyway, when it was getting closer and closer to going live, she kept reaching out how you doing? How's it going? I'm like, I'm ready to burn this thing. (laughs) I mean, I'm ready to throw it in. She goes, okay, good. You're doing good then. That's normal. And like, once it goes live, people are going to read it. And then am I prepared for that? So I think it's Glennon Doyle has said of her books and her work, once it goes out into the universe, her work is done. Have you received any negative or why are you writing about your kids? Has anyone actually said that? It's too soon. I have been putting my writing out there since right after college. I mean, my first job as a writer was in a magazine, a weekly magazine. People had to do a letter to the editor if they didn't like what you wrote, but you just get a thick skin. But yeah, this is the most vulnerable thing I've ever done because it's personal and it's not going to be for everybody and that's okay. I mean, I am not for everybody because everybody is not for me. I told our story and actually I told my story. Mm-hmm. I didn't tell my kid's story. I told mine really from my point of view and it's not for everybody and that's okay. That's really healthy. I'm very impressed. <laughs> yeah. Well, I also think once in a while I'll get a comment, like say I'll write a piece about my daughter and someone will comment, this applies to sons too. And I'm like, oh yeah, if you look through my feed, you'll see I write about my son as well. But if you want to write a piece about your son, go for it. It's really easy to be a critic Mm -hmm. on the sidelines go ahead and write your piece then if you would like to pour four years of your life into a book then we'll talk and so how do the kids take it is it they might say well I don't want the whole world knowing about the things that are difficult for us or our struggles and our triumphs too you know do they ever say they don't want to be so public or known well that's a very good question because I know a lot of people who are sharing their stories with younger kids have reached out to me about this. And the good thing about having started this when my kids are older, they actually do have a say and I can run things by them. Now I cannot share a picture without my daughter's approval that I had the cutest picture of us and she vetoed it. And I was like, but it's one of my favorites. She's like, no, I'm like, okay. But I don't tell their story. I'm very clear. It's my story as the mother. I'm not sharing their hardships. It's my story. Mm -hmm. And they were 100% supportive of this book. And in fact, Harper was the first to read the first proof copy. I have a picture of her sitting in her pajamas curled up on the sofa. She didn't put it down. (laughs) After she's like, mom, I like it. Okay. I'm crying. And I said, you're okay with it. She goes, yes. And Battle said, I don't care, whatever. (laughs) I didn't know there's nothing embarrassing. And it's not super personal as far as sharing their secrets and that kind of stuff. So, but absolutely. Yeah. And people of young kids, I think you do need to think about it. When my child is 10 or middle school, are they going to be okay 
with what I've shared, mm -hmm. videos, photos, it's just something to think about. It's so important. We did it's a whole hard. episode about uh, internet safety and teaching our kids the boundaries we have around it, watching their apps, but also about this whole idea of do we put our kids online, post their pictures in what forum, publicly or friends only type of things, private accounts. There's so many versions of how to navigate this and each family really does need to make their own decision and their own research about it. Definitely the people who exploit their children and their whole business model is their children that I find quite problematic. And that's different than people sharing their journeys and their experiences. But I think you said something so incredibly profound that applies for everybody who's listening. I want to say this right. <laughs> oh dear. I'm reflecting to how you said that it's your story and it's your experience and how that is true for everybody to make sure that you're separating what's happening to your kid and their experiences their diagnosis and their struggles and their surgeries and their devices and their IEPs and you, you the parent and your understanding of that and how it affects you and your relationships and you and your identity. So I really focus on parents. Can you advocate? Do you understand this? How does this affect your understanding of your future and your role as the parent? And it's really hard to be doing both of those things at once, like remembering your own life and being there for your kids. Well said. You said it first. <laughs> yeah, you picked up on that. And I think it's important. And even some of the language I use now has changed and evolved. And I think to be human is to change and course correct or see things differently. Like I'm a walking contradiction. I might've said something two years ago that now it makes me cringe and that's okay that I've learned and know better, do better. You know, Maya yeah. Angelou said that. And now I go to my kids because when it's about their disability, they get to name it. And I follow that and people come for you. Like not so much on my account, but I see it in a lot of other places because language does matter, but also the person with the disability does get to name it. And so special needs is a big one. And I used to use it mm -hmm. and it used to be kind of a thing. So when we started this, I mean, battle 17, so special needs, parenting, special needs, kids, programs for special need, da, 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 da. And my kids always were cringed by the word special. They would use the ghost quotes or air quotes, you know, and say, we're special. They didn't like it. And now the more I'm reading on it and adults have, that have disabilities saying, yeah. it's patronizing. Yeah. There's a level of self-forgiveness that goes into that. Times change, sensitivities change. And that you're willing also to change and not go back and just hide in a closet and delete everything you've ever written. <laughs> and people should look through that lens of change. You could see that throughout my podcast as well. A lot of changes. And at times you get tongue tied, then you don't know which version you should say, but we all have to have a little latitude for each other and ourselves Yeah. when it comes to that. But yeah, definitely there's room for change. Yes. And also my kids are not easily offended. I think it's generational. They're just a much more tolerant generation. My daughter's friend group is going to change the world. These people, they're just so accepting of differences. They are not easily offended if someone gets a word wrong. They're not. So even really? hearing impaired, I mean, some people have visceral reaction to that. My kids are like, eh, that doesn't bother us. They have hearing loss. It's death gain. My kids are like, no, that's just dumb for them. <laughs> right. <laughs> so some people might want to say deaf gain, and that is totally 
acceptable for them. My kids would be horrified if I said, my kids have death gain. That doesn't match us. I follow their lead. That's all I can say. Now that they're at the age, they've always had their own feelings about it, but now they can really articulate and think maybe more on a analytical, deeper level. Mm -hmm. And it's really context dependent too. If you're talking to the doctor and there's medical terminology, that's going to be there. And audiology has certain audiological terms that are not appropriate for socially identifiers, the way people would like to identify themselves as. And that's a a bridge that we're always trying to connect, but you know, there's still room for, okay, in this context, we use these terms in this other context, it's less appropriate. Definitely. And I'm not an expert in the terminology, nor do I pretend to be. I just go with it. And I don't say I'm a special needs parent because that's now labeling me. I'm a parent of children with hearing loss. Navigating life's challenges while raising kids with hearing loss is what we settled on. And my kids said, yes, that's it. So that's what I used. That is so, so wonderful that you are sharing your story, continue to inspire and encourage and connect people. It's so wonderful. Thank you for sharing your story. Okay. So I always end with this last question and that is what advice do you have for our listeners? So we have two big groups. It's the Parents like yourself, and then the professionals, a lot of speech therapists, teachers, audiologists. So advice for them from Valley. Well, read my book because the last final chapter is what I would have said to myself when this all began this journey. Rather than just plug my book though, can you tell I'm super passionate about it? And it just came out a week ago. So, I mean, I have book on the brain, but I don't have advice. I just have so much encouragement for the new parent. Stop and take a breath. Do not feel like you have to know everything about everything immediately. And that is where the access to information is probably not always helpful. There's so much. Pace yourself and know that you're possibly going to experience feelings of grief and give yourself time to work through that process or those stages. And it doesn't mean you love your child any less. Because that's something I wrestled with and I write about that I felt guilt for feeling that way because I should just be grateful. I have a healthy child. And it didn't mean I wasn't grateful. If you're having feelings of accepting something you didn't expect, it's okay. It's okay. And professionals, our audiologist is an angel. I love her. She's in the book. We're going to see her next week and we cannot wait. It's like a field trip for the kids now. It's so fun. (laughs) It really is. And she has always spoken to the children, not about them, not at them. And that has carried through today that they have such a rapport with her. I mean, they know her, she knows them, and she cares about what they have to say. Know that that patient is a person, even if they're a little, get them involved in the process from the very beginning and treat parents with empathy and patience provide encouragement for every little victory. One time we had a negative experience with the auditory verbal therapist. We were in transition trying to find a new one. And we spent an hour of her telling me all the things Harper wasn't doing. And my mom happened to be with me at that appointment. And when we left, my mom said, she did not say one thing positive about all the things Harper is doing. And I'm like, no wonder I leave 
feeling defeated. You should not feel defeated. You should feel encouraged, honesty, but encouragement. So there's so many great professionals out there though. So I celebrate all the people out there working for kiddos with hearing loss. I'm super grateful. I think to take a breath and try to enjoy your baby, your child, everything that you can learn today, you can also learn tomorrow. <laughs> and yes. I, I think it's also important for people to know that there are people like myself and many others who will help you sift through that information and actually tell you what is relevant to you and what's not. Because I've had families come in with questions about a bone anchored hearing aid. They read articles about the Baja and their child isn't a candidate for that. So why did you read 16 articles and pages? Because they had just sort of stumbled upon it. And and that's very understandable because you want to know as much as you can, but don't be afraid to reach out. You just nailed it. And I think for anyone beginning this journey, that is such great advice. Just because it's on the internet does not make it true. And also there are so many varying opinions that you have to create a trusted team of people around you. And then you have to trust your own gut and intuition and you have to cancel out the noise. We were lucky that our kids were at the age we didn't have all that noise because the internet wasn't really a thing. So I didn't have to read hundreds and hundreds of articles telling you what we should do. And ultimately you do the best you can and be willing to change. And if something doesn't work, be willing to try something else. Course correct. It's the word we use and every child's different. So what worked for my kids, I never tell people what they should do. hundred percent. No way. Yeah. What worked for my kids is not your kids are not my kids. My kids are same syndrome, same family, and they respond differently. Just do the best you can. That's true. That's an amazing place for us to wrap up this episode. Yeah, number one. Yes. So exciting. Congratulations. It's through the fog. I will definitely link that in the show notes as well as a full transcript of today's interview and also the link to our previous conversation and many other podcasts we've done with other authors in this space. So that's sort of been a little series, you could say, with other authors, Mighty Mila and Mikey on the Move um, and others. So we'll definitely link that. And in addition, I'd like everyone to know that I am here for you. And if you'd like to book uh, time to get to know so I can learn about your story and your experiences you can absolutely do that for a free consultation just get to know each other because i love to know who's listening and how i can help so be in touch that's through instagram through facebook and the facebook group and i'm always very happy to be in touch thank you valley for being on the show thank you so much for having me have a great day